Welcome to you, wherever you're at, whomever you're with. We are so very glad that you are here with us for a few moments this weekend. Before we jump into our teaching, I do want to mention uh, when you're in your favorite podcast player, if you search for Arlington FM Church, there you'll not only find all the uh, teaching uh, in our current series, but all of our teaching content, and uh, hope you will check that out. If you like what you're listening to, share it with your friends, and let's help get the good word out. Well, speaking of the good word, uh, we are in a teaching series called The Happiness Project, and uh, you know it's based on this belief that uh, part of the reason Jesus came was to fill our lives up with good things, uh, to uh, really give us that sense of well-being and happiness in spite of the ups and downs of life. In fact, Jesus said in John 10, 10, I have come that you may have life and have it to the full. In John 15, he said that these things I've spoken to you so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be made full. And you know, when that takes place, God gets the credit. In fact, Jesus in that same text said, this is to my Father's glory, that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. Uh, but here's the truth we've established well in this series. When it comes to happiness, you know, we tend to set our sights on a lot of the wrong things. I think we have uh, happiness ADD, where it's uh, tempted to pursue the next shiny object. We can end up like King Solomon, who said, I denied myself nothing that my eyes desired. I refused my heart no pleasure. And yet, when I surveyed all that my hands had done, what I had toiled to achieve, everything was meaningless, a chasing after the wind. Well, you know, I really believe that uh, following Jesus will not lead us to that place of futility and emptiness. In fact, uh, Jesus gave us a kind of a roadmap of how to find a life that is both happy and blessed. Uh, we call it the Beatitudes, and uh, Jesus spelled out a very different way uh, to fill our lives up with joy, and it has to do with becoming things like poor in spirit, uh, mourning our brokenness, uh, learning to control our appetites and desires, uh, hungering and thirsting for God's ways, being merciful to others as we long for God's mercy in our own lives, becoming pure in heart, uh, learning how to overcome conflict and actually become peacemakers. This is the unusual pathway, but it's guaranteed, according to the truth of Jesus, to lead us to a place that is both happy and blessed. You know, uh, he likened his kingdom uh, to like a uh, treasure hidden in a field. He said when a man finds that treasure, he hid it again, and then in his joy and his happiness and his gladness, he went and sold all that he had and bought that field. Well, that's really the goal of this series, that uh, in our eyes, in our minds, in our hearts, uh, we would spot that hidden treasure, forsake all the things that don't really produce fullness and joy, and aim at finding uh, that good treasure that does fill our lives up with real joy and happiness. You know, we've been looking at the Apostle Paul's letter. It's also kind of like a road map uh, leading to a happy and blessed life. In fact, uh, in this four-chapter letter, uh, Paul mentions the word joy and rejoice 16 times. And uh, according to his opening words in uh, Philippians chapter 1, you know, he's uh, established 
that a lot of the uh, happiness gurus today, the therapists, psychologists, and counselors, and uh, sociologists have put their finger on truth that really does uh, lead towards happiness. And we've established these truths that happy people have a purpose or a mission in life that's bigger than themselves. They tend to have an optimistic view of their own storyline, their narrative. Uh, happy people find meaning in their suffering and their difficulties, and happy people see themselves as lifelong learners. I would encourage you, go back and read uh, the Apostle Paul's words in Philippians chapter 1, but he established that all these things are found in a life of following Jesus and uh, being caught up in his mission, his purpose of communicating the Father heart of God towards people and what God has accomplished to redeem us uh, through the cross of Jesus Christ. Well, uh, today we kind of begin to wind up Paul's letter to his friends in Philippi, and he takes uh, these uh, truths about uh, finding our joy and following Christ, the finished work of uh, God through the cross of Christ. He brings it down to earth. And in fact, uh, Paul puts his finger on some of those happiness killers. And uh, one of them, which we all are probably too familiar with, is unresolved conflict in our lives. You know, when we, uh, we have it out with someone, don't see eye to eye, they rub us the wrong way, hurt, betray, disappoint us. Uh, all of these things uh, create conflict in our lives. And if we don't know how to uh, put it behind us, they end up killing our joy and happiness. And so Paul, uh, he pleads with some of his friends in Philippi. He says, I plead with Euodia, and I plead with Syntyche. You know, there's a source of happiness, uh, loss, uh, being named like that. But apparently in this day and age, those were normal uh, names to be called. But Paul pled with these two ladies to be of the same mind in the Lord, in other words, to agree, uh, to quit uh, allowing their conflict to separate them. And uh, he goes on, he says, yes, and I ask you, my true companion, help these women since they have contended at my side in the cause of the gospel, uh, along with Clement and the rest of my co-workers whose names are written in the book of life. You know, uh, here's Paul's contention. These are good people, these two ladies who are apparently, uh, they've had a falling out. They've not been able to work through their conflict, and it's uh, not only separating them, but it's causing a rift in the church, and people are kind of dividing up along their opinions. Uh, you know, uh, here's a good question when you think about conflict. Uh, how do you respond to good people as these two women were? How do you respond to good people when their bad side shows up, you know, that's an important uh, response to the conflicts in life that are inevitable. Unfortunately, all too often, we tend to look at relationships with an all or nothing mindset. You know, uh, this person used to be on my good list, but now not so much. We unfriend them, give them the cold shoulder, find ways to tune them out of our lives. And uh, we tend to look at relationships as having value only when they value us and uh, when we begin to lose uh, that ease of interaction, it's way too easy uh, to begin to develop a lifestyle of unresolved conflicts. Uh, you know, here's an interesting picture. This item's called a sagebrush. 
And uh, as I read about this, uh, this item, uh, you know, what happens is uh, the sagebrush will blow along to a place in sand, send out little tiny roots. The next wind that comes up will blow it somewhere else. And those roots die and sends out some more tiny roots. And this uh, process goes on and on and on until eventually the thing becomes encased in these dead and shallow attachments. Well, that's kind of a picture of what unresolved conflict does in our lives. So we have a falling out with people that we don't quite know how to work it through. And so we uh, sever uh, that attachment and on and on and on. And we can get to a place where we're literally barricading ourselves from a network of relationships that God has placed us in the middle of. And uh, here's the truth that Paul appeals to, that these women contended with him for the cause of the gospel, making the goodness of God known through the revelation of Jesus Christ, and they were engaged in that. And Paul appeals to these friends to bring them back to that place of peacemaking and putting the annoyances of life behind us. Here's the truth. When we live for the cause of the gospel, we don't sink into unsolvable conflicts with people. I hear that again. When we focus on the, the higher mission, the cause in life of making God known to others through the forgiveness that's in Christ, we don't sink into unsolvable conflicts with people. The cause of Jesus lifts us beyond our petty offenses and annoyances. And, uh, you know, uh, in saying that, we all know that a conflict with people can be debilitating. Someone mistreats you, someone hurts you, someone offends you, disappoints you, acts unjustly towards you. Well, uh, uh, Paul not only appeals to the cause of the gospel, but now he appeals uh, to the, the person behind the gospel. Uh, Paul appeals to the one source that can really lead us to uh, joy unspeakable, to the kind of uh, life-sustaining spring that can uh, keep us going even in the dry times and through the difficult times. And uh, this should come as no surprise if you've been tracking the Apostle Paul's thoughts in this letter to his friends. That source of real lasting happiness, that source of meaning, uh, that one who turns our story into a good one, that one who turns our sorrow into joy, that source is the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. And uh, as Paul will write, not only in this letter, but other New Testament letters, uh, Jesus is that treasure hidden in a field. Uh, he's the pearl of great price. In fact, uh, Paul would write in one of his other letters uh, to his friends in uh, Colossae, uh, he would write that in Christ are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge, and in him, in your response to him, your relationship with him, you have come to fullness of life. And uh, what Paul is saying is that we can find satisfaction, we can find happiness, we can find well-being uh, simply in our relationship with Jesus Christ. And so he writes these words to his friends, rejoice in the Lord always, every day, in every way, in every season, find your joy in your relationship with the Lord 
Jesus Christ. In fact, uh, he says, I will say it again. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. And uh, here's what Paul's saying. You don't have to wait uh, for your circumstances to improve, uh, to find happiness and joy. Uh, you don't have to reach the, you know, the mountaintop of success. You don't even have to be in a place where all your needs are being wonderfully met to find real and lasting joy. Uh, Paul says you can find it in your relationship with Jesus Christ. And because of this great truth, uh, the Lord is near. Uh, the Lord is present. The Lord is accessible. Uh, you know, think about that for a minute. Uh, this person that we read about in, in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, this one who was born around the events of Christmas, this one who would become an incredible teacher, prophet, who would demonstrate that he was indeed God with us, God in the flesh, this one uh, who would go to the cross and suffer and die for the sins of the world, this one who would be resurrected, who would present himself alive through many convincing proofs. Uh, Paul says, you want to find joy that doesn't uh, change with the ups and downs of life? You want to find the kind of joy that will take you through the darkest times and help you find real happiness and blessedness? Well, uh, look to the Lord who is near, who is present. Uh, he's not some uh, philosophy. He's not a way of life. He's a person, and he has conquered death and hell, and he has come to all those who have opened up to his presence. Uh, here's the truth that Paul would appeal to. When we open up to Jesus' living presence, we have a constant and reliable source of joy. We have ample strength to face life's challenges. We don't have to become abrasive people. We can, quote, let our gentleness be evident to all because the Lord is near to us. You know, he fills us up from the inside out, and that's exactly where Paul goes uh, in his uh, closing words to his friends in Philippi. He says, look, uh, knowing that the Lord of life, this one who is the hidden treasure, the pearl of great price, this one in whom you have come to fullness of life, uh, he's near, he can help you rise above the storms of life. And so he says uh, in verse 6, do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation with prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God and the peace of God, which uh, transcends all understanding. It goes beyond trying to figure out the score. The peace of God will guard your hearts, guard your minds, in Christ Jesus. And uh, here's the truth uh, Paul is underscoring. Uh, when we live uh, like Jesus is present in our lives, uh, we can have an ongoing, uninterrupted conversation with God who can turn every worry, every fear, every anxiety into an opportunity to experience God's overcoming and transcendent uh, peace. That's a profound resource that is a treasure and it comes uh, through recognizing that jesus is present with us and uh, and then paul would uh, bring it home even more uh, even closer to home he says finally brothers and sisters whatever is true whatever is noble whatever is right whatever is pure 
whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if there's anything that is excellent or worthy of praise, think about, set your mind on things such as these. And uh, here's what Paul is saying to us. When we live like Jesus is present in our lives, we can reboot our troubled minds. We can form an outlook on life that magnifies the good things, the beauty, while minimizing the pain and the negativity that all of us have to wade through in this life. You know, it, it'd be easy to, to read these words of Paul and think, well, you know, that's kind of uh, idealistic. I mean, to think that we could actually rise above our conflicts, that we could become uh, kind and generous people, that we could uh, turn our cares and concerns into prayers and, uh, and an ongoing conversation with God, that we could uh, change the channel in our minds and rather than filling them with uh, negativity and the things that pull us down, we can fill them with thoughts that lift us up and help us to soar. We could look at that and think, well, that's a bit, you know, pie in the sky. Uh, but uh, as we close this series, I want to bring you to uh, the beginnings of the church in Philippi. And, you know, uh, it's recorded uh, where Paul met these friends that he's writing to in Acts chapter 16. You can read about it, but you got to know right off the bat uh, this is not a pretty picture. Uh, things are not going completely well in Paul's visit to Philippi. In fact, uh, we kind of picked the story up uh, midway through. Uh, Paul and Silas are in Philippi. They're having conversations with folks about the reality of Christ having conquered the grave and his living presence. And uh, Paul is, is being followed around by, unfortunately, a, a girl who's got a spirit of divination and uh, she's kind of acting out as she follows him around. And she keeps saying, uh, listen to these men. They're, they're showing you the way of God. They're showing you the way of God. These men are showing you the way of God. And after a few days of this, we're told that uh, Paul got kind of annoyed. And he turned and he, he cast out uh, this spirit of divination that was upon this young girl. Well, what he didn't realize is that uh, she was actually being trafficked. She was being used. Her, her colorful gift was a source of money uh, to some guys in Philippi. And they became enraged that suddenly they'd lost their source of income. They accused Paul and Silas of things they weren't teaching and weren't saying and weren't doing. And uh, the crowd is incited against them. And we pick it up here. It says the crowd joined in the attack against Paul and Silas. And the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten with rods. And we think, wait, what? These are good folks doing good things. And yet now they're being falsely accused, stripped, beaten with rods. After they've been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison. And the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. When he received these orders, he put them in the inner cell and he fastened their feet in the blocks. You know, as I read this account of what happened to Paul and Silas, I thought of this picture I'd seen in a news article. You know, uh, Paul and Silas probably looked much worse than this gentleman uh, after they'd been beaten and severely flogged. These are the beginnings of the church in Philippi. And we're told in that prison cell uh, about midnight, 
Paul and Silas, no doubt hurting, swollen, bloodied, were praying. They were singing hymns to God. They were declaring God's goodness in those uh, horrendous circumstances. And, and get this, the other prisoners were listening to them. They had an audience even in that cell. Uh, suddenly, there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. <laughs> all you know what is breaking loose. And we're told at once, all the prison doors flew open and everyone's chains came loose. That's, a, that's an amazing uh, episode. And it really does speak metaphorically of what happens when certain people choose to live in the fullness of life that Jesus came to give us. They rise above the conflicts. Uh, they, they learn uh, to uh, entrust their cares and concerns to a God who cares about them deeply. They set their minds above the din of this world onto the things uh, that are uh, truthful and life-giving. And uh, when that takes place, the foundations of this world are shaken. Prison doors fling open. Uh, chains fall off of others. And we're told at this point the jailer woke up, and when he saw the prison doors open, uh, he had a different reaction. He drew his sword. He was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. He knew he was facing crucifixion uh, for failing at his uh, uh, keeping his task. But Paul shouted, don't harm yourself. We are all here. You go, wait, what? Uh, this is Paul uh, defending his abuser, making sure that uh, the guy, one of the guys who was part of his uh, you know, conflicted life uh, were taken care of, were not harmed. Uh, the jailer called for lights. He rushed in. He fell trembling before Paul and Silas. He then brought them out, and he asked them, Sirs, what must I do? to be saved. Now you talk about a miracle of miracles uh, just in response to the freedom, the liberty, the joy that Paul and Silas had in Christ. Uh, this man is drawn to the light. He asked, what must I do to be saved? Well, uh, Paul told him, he said, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. You and your household. Uh, you know, that's pretty simple and straightforward. There's not a lot of complicated religion surrounding that response. He just says, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. Not only you, but you and your entire household. And then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all the others in the house. Well, uh, they kind of had a fellowship party at that point. We're told at that hour of the night, the jailer took them. He washed their wounds. Uh, then he immediately, he and all his household were baptized. Amazing. The jailer brought them into his house. He set a meal before them. And uh, here's the outcome. Uh, he was filled with joy because he had come to believe in God, he and his whole household. You know, we talked about uh, the things that really fill our lives uh, with happiness and blessing. We talked about uh, being caught up in a mission that is greater than ourselves, having a storyline that in spite of the challenges and setbacks and difficulties, it's a good storyline. It's got a good outcome and a good ending. We talked about 
you know, happy people find meaning in their suffering, in their lifelong learners. Well, all of this is on display in the very uh, foundations of the church in Philippi. And Paul would bring his friends back to that and say, you know, uh, this is not, not a dream. This is not a fantasy. This is reality that we can live in today. For one reason, because the Lord is near. Uh, would you pray with me? Uh, Father, thank you for your love for us. Uh, Jesus, thank you that you've come for us. Uh, your word says you are the good shepherd of our souls. And we want to thank you, Lord Jesus, uh, for all the things that you've already done, uh, all the reasons we can rejoice in you today for no other reason, Lord. If, if today is a dark day and a difficult day and full of setbacks, and God forbid the kind of suffering that Paul and Silas experienced, we can still find our joy in you. Uh, Lord, I pray if anyone is hearing this message and there's something in their heart uh, that wishes that they could step into this life, uh, Lord, you're near to them. And I pray that your living presence would flood uh, their home and their hearts with light. We pray these things, Jesus' mighty name, amen.